God, our Father, slow us down. Help us to be present in this moment. There are any number of temptations that might come our way in this moment to distract us, to pull us elsewhere. Perhaps it's uh, the phone that's sitting in our pocket right now that's reminding us of whatever else is happening in our world, whether it's in the news, in a friend's life, whether it's our own lives and and a laundry list of things that has to get done before the end of the day. But God, that's not where we are. We're here. We're here with you in your presence. And I pray in this moment that we walk at your pace and that we actually find ourselves very much in your presence, dining with you right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, God's timing is not our timing. Uh, You've probably heard this before, right? God's timing is not our timing. Uh, People say this in a variety of ways and for a variety of reasons. Um, I had this epiphany uh, a number of years ago now, and it's taken a long time, and I'm I'm still not sure. You know, life lessons are funny where you learn them, and then you have to learn them about, you know, a dozen two dozen, a hundred times before you realize, oh, it's, yeah, it's true again. Uh, And uh, the life lesson is that God's actually a lot slower than I am. (laughs) I want things accomplished quickly. I want them done uh, within the day, maybe the week. You know what? If it takes a couple years, uh, depending on the project size, okay. But boy, if you're talking like a dozen years or a century or millennia, right, which is often how slow God works, we're talking a different speed, aren't we? Anything that outlasts me, uh, well, (laughs) I better believe, uh, I mean, it's not really on my radar most of the time, at least, if I'm being honest. It's probably not on yours either. But God, he's been around a while, okay, so there's that. Uh, he seems to have a, uh, a knack for uh, patience that, that we often lack. And the conclusion I had to come to was that maybe it's not that God's slow, but, but maybe I'm moving too fast, right? Maybe that's the problem. And so we read in uh, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 today, a passage that you've probably heard before, But it makes the point very clearly, right? It says, uh, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Like, don't miss this. And I don't want you to miss it either. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You know, the author here could have picked any number of years. He could have said, Don't miss this fact that one day is as 10 years or one day is as, you know, a a 12 or or 50 year generation. It picked a thousand years. That's a long time, right? A thousand years is like, well, it's like a day in God's timing. That's slow time. 
Now, of course, God can move a lot faster than we do too, which is maybe a different sermon altogether. But uh, we're talking about God's slowness in relation to the speed we want to move at, that faster speed. But he goes on and he says very clearly, the Lord is not slow, right? There it is, you know. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, myself included, and I'm going to guess you too. But he is patient, and he's patient toward you, not wishing that any perish, but that all should reach repentance. So when I look in Scripture, from front to back, I find I'll just call him a slow God, but we just read, it's not. It's not that God is slow. It's just that God has a different pace than we have, right? And so when we read in Scripture, it seems like both at the small levels and the large levels, like the micro time and the macro time, God is taking his sweet time to complete things. Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. That's a long time, right? And God yet is still being, as it says in 2 Peter 3, patient, patient with us. God also mentions any number of times in Scripture that patience is a virtue and it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? Patience I don't know why I always kind of stop at the peace, right? Love and joy and peace. And then I forget, oh yeah, patience is in there too, right? Or in the Old Testament, any number of times we read, be still, be still, right? Be still and know that I am God. Or Elijah in the desert, he's waiting on what? He's waiting on that still, small voice. Or as we read today from the Psalms, Waiting, waiting is what God asks us to do any number of times. And guess what? Waiting on God requires waiting. <laughs> waiting, it requires slowing down and pausing and just stopping for a moment and seeing what in the world is happening around us and letting that do its own thing, letting that guy behind you honk as much as he needs to, and just waiting and being in the present moment. Psalm 40, 1 to 3, I'll go ahead and read it again. It goes this way. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. But only after I waited patiently, right? I waited patiently. And he goes on. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. But only after I waited patiently. I'm adding that part in case you're not reading it. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure but only after I waited patiently. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, but only after I waited patiently. 
And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, but only if they too wait patiently for the Lord. Is God slow? No. Am I moving too fast? Almost certainly. I read a book recently, and uh, the author in it asked a question right up front. Uh, And the question was, if you could describe Jesus with one word, what would it be? And I was surprised at his answer. He said uh, he would describe him as, maybe I'll give you a minute. How would you describe Jesus? What? Uh, Patient. Yeah, you might have thought I would say patient in this moment. Uh, It's it's actually a good answer, right? Uh, Relaxed was the answer he gave, which is similar uh, to patient, right? Relaxed. Now, granted, the book itself is is called uh, An Unhurried Life. So he he has a bit of an axe to grind, right? Uh, So I'm sure there are other one-word answers we could give to the nature of, of who Jesus is and how he lives his life, right? But relaxed really struck me. Is that how you think of Jesus? As somebody who is relaxed? It got me thinking. I'm not sure it describes Jesus all the time. Obviously, when he's turning tables in the temple courts, right, he's not relaxed in that moment. But he does seem to have a certain, you know, gait about his walk (laughs) that is a little, again, slower than how we typically walk. So the rest of the sermon, just to go ahead and, and give you up front what's going on here, I actually want to pull from uh, another work that is very similar, uses uh, similar language. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer, and he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I recommend it. It's a good book. It's got a lot of wisdom in it. He's a pastor out in uh, the Northwest. And he says he's got four practices, and I want to share them with you, for unhurrying your life and walking at the pace that Jesus walked. And as I go through each of these uh, practices, they all start with the letter S, which makes for a nice sermon. Um, But then also, they all connect with something about Jesus, and, and there's a window uh, in which Jesus exemplifies what he's offering here as practices. And, and the four are, well, silence and solitude, that's just one actually, silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. So to start with silence and solitude... In Mark 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 30 to 32, we read that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a, a desolate place, which is a, uh, a lonely place or a, a place alone, right? Where no one else is hanging out. A place of solitude and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Do you know what happens next? 
5,000 people, men rather, uh, a bunch more people probably, women and children, descend upon him and he feeds the 5,000. That is the intro to the story, right? So there are times where Jesus is trying to walk at this certain pace, but the crowds keep coming at him. And he indeed feeds them. And you can tell in this time that, that he is a little frazzled and he's, he's reaching the end of his human self, we might say. And he just wants some silence and he wants some solitude. And he's seeking this in this moment. And what this might look like, whether in Jesus' life or in your life, it might be what you expect. Things like prayer, right? We talked about prayer last week. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. Did, did anyone pray the Lord's I hate to ask that question because uh, it gets personal at this point. Uh, are you listening uh, is the question. But did you, were you practicing any forms of prayer this last week? I actually did, I, I will say. I, I did. Um, I tried to listen to myself, and, and, and I found myself praying it every morning. Um, and I, I too, uh, recognized uh, the ways in which uh, the prayer uh, shapes of me, right? The way in which it, it changes and, and spiritually forms my life. And to start a day off in prayer is, well, frankly, uh, a needed practice. He offers some other forms, though. Uh, he, he talks about uh, breath prayer, which is something actually quite ancient. Uh, but he, uh, the, the form that he gives here is, uh, it's a, it's, it's a, first of all, a getting silent, being alone, making some kind of routine around this, and then getting used to the breathing in and the breathing out. And he offers the following. As you, as you breathe in, you think about breathing in God's love, right? And as you breathe out, you're breathing out your anger or your hate or your malice, right? And he goes on and he says, and then you breathe in joy and you breathe out sadness and you breathe in peace and you breathe out anxiety and you breathe in hope and you breathe out your despair and you breathe in trust or faithfulness and you breathe out fear. Right? What if your day started that way? Where every morning you, you get up and you say, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to breathe in God's love and joy and peace and, and hope and, and trust this morning. I'm going to breathe out all of those other things. I'm going to begin my day this way. Right? Another practice he suggests in this moment of silence or solitude uh, is a practice, again, ancient practice here called Lectio Divina. Uh, this means simply like spiritual reading or sacred reading, and it's taking a text from Scripture, uh, and it's reading through it ever so slowly and carefully, listening to what God might be speaking to you today. So taking uh, something maybe easy to start with, would be like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And you just read through it very slowly. And then you take some time and you reflect on it. And you stop. And you're silent. 
All of this requires silence. And then you read through it again. <laughs> and then you start to see things uh, rise up out of the text that you never noticed were there before. And you find that God is speaking to you through his word, which should come as no surprise, it being his word and all. And then you pause. And you again seek God's still voice. And then maybe you read it a third time through. And you might think, if you've never done this before, that the third time through you will have, uh, you'll have gotten it already. You don't need it that third time. But the reality is that on that third time, there's a, an even greater depth yet. Uh, when I prepare my sermons, especially if it's a text-heavy sermon where uh, I am just digging into the text itself and really trying to pull out every little nook and cranny and turn over every st stone, I will read through a text and, and I will have this experience on a very regular basis in preparation for a Sunday morning where I read it through and then I read it through again and then I read it through again and over the course of a week, I'm just sitting with this same text. And you might think, like, it would just get old, but it doesn't. It never gets old. The cavern only gets deeper, and the wisdom only grows higher, and God's voice only grows louder. The second practice that he suggested was Sabbath. Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath comes up quite a lot in Jesus' life. And if we're learning to walk at the pace of Jesus, it is worth looking at what he's doing on the Sabbath. Now, I will say there's a certain thing he is trying to, it seems he's trying to upend some of the notions of what the Sabbath should be in uh, a you know, first century world. And those notions included a certain strictness that Jesus is, is wishing to, to break hold of. And, and so a lot of times he's doing things like healing on the Sabbath, or he's doing teaching on the Sabbath, or he's certainly praying on the Sabbath, or he's, uh, well, he's eating with friends on the Sabbath. Here's one example. This one comes from Luke chapter 14, 1 through 6. One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, as they always did. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful, right? Is it okay according to the law of Moses? That's the real question here. Is it okay according to the Old Testament, we'll say, to heal on the Sabbath? Or is it not okay? But they remained silent. And then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they couldn't reply to these things is what it says, right? They couldn't reply. Jesus does uh, celebrate the Sabbath even if he breaks 
the, the codes of these man-made laws, right, uh, that existed back then. And he, in doing so, he, he scandalizes uh, the, uh, many of the Jews who uh, he was uh, living with and, uh, and, and maybe even walking with and, uh, and who knew him. And they were wondering, who in the world is this man who is both keeping and not keeping the Sabbath, right, and is able to heal on the Sabbath, what is happening here? But I do believe that Jesus desires that you and I, too, have some form of Sabbath. And to start with, I'll just go ahead and say it outright. Um, when this happens in your week is, I don't think, the point. And I think Jesus is, is okay with you not holding your Sabbath on a Sunday, because let's just be honest, you do know that originally it wasn't on Sunday, right? The Jewish Sabbath begins sundown Friday night and ends sundown Saturday night, right? So for me, for example, uh, my Sundays are pretty busy. Uh, I don't really have a lot of Sabbath going on on Sundays. And so I need to find some other time in the week to have rest, to have Sabbath, to be with my family, to be together. And so I do, if I have one on a consistent basis, it is usually that, that Friday-Saturday window, right? And so maybe that's yours. Maybe it is the traditional Sunday, but maybe it's some other time in the week. Whatever the case is, I do believe that Jesus desires that you too have some kind of day where you slow down, where you're intentional about losing things off of the schedule and putting some practices, spiritual practices in particular, onto your schedule. And so he encourages, for example, establishing some kind of beginning ritual to the whole day whether it's reading a psalm, lighting a candle, or maybe it's, if it's a Sunday, going to church with your family. And then he encourages some kind of establishing of a, a concluding ritual, whether that's like a slow walk around your neighborhood, a shared meal with family or friends, spending time alone in gratitude, or spending time with others sharing the gratitude that you have. He also encourages, perhaps, if you need some kind of digital detox on this day. Frankly, we all need some kind of digital detox uh, uh, on the regular, don't we? Our phones, my word, if they are not a distraction, I don't know what is. I was going to begin the sermon, and you know, I never know what hits me, but I was going to begin it with a... Uh, a scene from, I think I've used this before though, so apologies, but from the, the movie Hook, came out in 1991, you know, with Robin Williams is playing Peter Pan, and Robin Williams is, he's a, spoiler alert, grown-up Peter Pan, right, and he's, he's a businessman, and remarkably, he has a cell phone in 1991, right, but you can imagine what that thing looks like. And, uh, and by the end of the movie, the final scene, and I remembered it, but I looked it up this morning just to fact check myself here, it's true, uh, he, he the movie concludes with him taking the phone and throwing it out the window into a snowy uh, field 
Uh, and the whole po- one of the points of the movie is how much he has become distracted from his family, how much time he has begun to put toward his, his work and his business. And um, I want to say uh, to the producers of that movie and the writers, um, uh, thank you uh, for this artifact of history. Uh, we are all Peter Pan now, right? We all have that phone far more than uh, Robin Williams ever did, right, way back when. And not only that, now it's become normalized. And if you don't have it, actually you're, you've got a bit of a problem, right? Because you can't be a normal functioning member of society if you don't have that smartphone. And so, with all of that... <laughs> A digital detox on some kind of regular basis is most certainly a good thing. And maybe that's part of your Sabbath. And then adding in some measure of spiritual formation to that Sabbath rest. Whether it's intentional worship, some kind of resting, maybe it's a nap, delighting in one another, in your friends, in your family. It's a regular phone call to a certain friend or family member. Some kind of intentional leisure activity. Spending time in nature with God. Whatever it might be, right? Number three, the third practice that John Mark Comer suggests that we adopt, and I think he's right. And by the way, I should say, uh, none of these are like his. Uh, he, like, if you read, uh, <laughs> Richard Foster has a book from probably 50 years ago now, I think, uh, the, the Celebration of Discipline, and all four of these and so many more are in that book. Just times have changed, and so it's maybe worth updating some things. Anyway, the third of these he offers is simplicity. Simplicity. And when I read in Matthew 8, 20, it says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is often taken to to be understood as Jesus is, um, well, it's often said homeless, right? At the very least, he has very little possessions to his name. He lives a simple life. And he, in fact, encourages his disciples to do the same thing when he, when he sends them out. And he says to them in Luke 10, 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no, no, sand, no sandals, and greet no one on the road, right? I mean, don't, essentially, don't take anything with you and, and go on out on this journey that I'm sending you on. That is simplicity to the max. A simplicity that I imagine most of us in here, looking at your clothing, uh, are uncomfortable with. Oops. Yeah, me too. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Minimalism, as John Mark Comer describes it, says less clothes, less stuff, less things we don't need, less hobbies, less options and more prayer, more joy, more peace, more loving relationships. He offers some exercises for paring down your stuff. (laughs) 
And he starts with some exercises for paring down your clothing. We used to have the Souls for Souls bin, and, and we had to, uh, they, they took it away from us, uh, not because we were doing poorly. It was actually filled like every other week. It was amazing how many people were coming up here. Um, but they, I guess they stopped it in this area. Is that right, Matt? They closed down the Richmond Warehouse to consolidate. Yeah, they closed, they closed down the Richmond Warehouse to consolidate. And yeah. Um, but we, uh, but this was a great practice, right? Of, of on a routine basis, kind of looking through your closet and saying, "I don't need these anymore," but someone else might, uh, and offering them to somebody else who does, right? Paring down your stuff. He goes through papers. He he, he talks about paring down your budget, uh, and then he gets to paring down your schedule, and that's frankly as important as the stuff, right? I mean, goodness gracious, in this area, our schedules get filled to the max, don't they? Is it just me, my family? Probably not. Whew, man. We always joke and and we talk about how nice COVID was. Because no one was doing anything and you just had this slower pace of life generally. And then kind of things have changed and, and we've picked back up. And I still, I still maintain there is a lesson to be learned from all of that. We don't have to do it all. And it's okay to say no to certain social obligations. Um, the last thing he says uh, that we need Uh, to find uh, in Jesus is uh, that he he calls it slowness, right? And I think that's actually what we're talking about with all of this, is this fourth practice is, is a slowness of pace, slowing down. It's uh, tempting to think that everything in front of us is urgent and must be done now, Right? I, I certainly live this way sometimes. Do you know, what does this cause? In, when, when you live at this pace of urgency, it causes a certain amount of fear, right? I'm not going to get it all done. And, and it causes a certain amount of definitely anxiety, right? And it causes maybe even... If, if the fear gets too much or the anxiety gets too much or the speed of it all gets too much and that guy behind me does honk at me one more time, I might get angry, right? Fear, anxiety, anger, it all gets wrapped up in there, doesn't it? But I don't think we see this with Jesus. I think we actually see a slow Jesus, so to speak, Right? He's certainly not anxious. In fact, he warns us of our anxiety. And he he tells us to not worry. We see him doing things like the following. While his disciples are freaking out in a boat because of a storm, seemingly a natural thing to do, Jesus is asleep. Yes, he is very calm. Right? He's so calm, he's asleep. Jesus uh, is confronted by a crowd, and they are ready to toss him off a cliff. And do you know what he does? 
He doesn't run. He walks through the crowd, right? He just kind of turns on his heel, and he just ever so slowly, he walks at his pace through the crowd, and they don't lay a hand on him, right? As I've already said, Jesus does not run in Scripture. He walks everywhere he goes. He finds deserted places. He finds these lonely places. He finds time to be with his Father, to pray on a routine basis. First thing out of the shoot Jesus does, he's baptized. Book of Mark here, chapter 1. Baptized. And then 40 days in the wilderness. Alone. 40 days alone. Not to mention the fact that it took Jesus 30 years to even start a ministry. I'd like to tell that to a few seminary students. Not Riley, of course, but... (laughs) Uh, 30... If Jesus is starting his ministry at 30 years, sometimes it feels like maybe we're in a bit too much of a rush with all of this, right? I mean, he is the son of God, for Pete's sake. This is God incarnate we're talking about. And he does not seem to be in quite the same rush that you and I are. John Mark Comer offers a few games. Uh, he calls them games uh, to slow your life down. I'll just, I'll offer them and then we'll conclude here. He says, um, and I think some of this is a little tongue in cheek, but it, it fits, right? Drive the speed limit. <laughs> Get into the slow lane. A lot of this has to do with traffic. Uh, Come to a full stop at a stop sign. Don't text and drive. Show up 10 minutes early for an appointment without your phone. Now there's one, right? If you show up 10 minutes early anywhere and you just sit for 10 minutes, what would you be, where would your soul be in that moment? Where would your spirit be? Would it be thinking, oh, uh, I need to fill this time somehow? Is that nervous energy? Lastly, he suggests get into the longest line at the grocery store. These are all uh, opportunities, I think he would call them, opportunities to see what's really going on within you, to see what speed you are living at. And you need to pay attention to yourself in this moment. Where are you speeding up? Not just in those moments, but in life generally. Like if you just did a, 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 like, you know, two o'clock tomorrow, you just stop and you say, how am I feeling right now? Why do I feel sped up in this moment? And to start to undo some of the speeding up of life. To slow yourself back down. And maybe there is anxiety attached to it or fear or even anger. Slowing down and walking at Jesus' pace. This is not an easy thing to do in our world today. I'll just go ahead and say it. Especially in Northern Virginia. You might think it'd be easier in rural Alabama, but I tell you, they moved pretty quickly too. They really did. I think we're all moving a little quicker these days. And we need to find ways to put a pause on it all 
to think about the pace at which Jesus is okay at walking with, to think about the pace at which God seems to be walking through history with, and to recognize that what we think is urgent and is beginning to pull on us and to create anxiety in us and fear within us and even anger within us, maybe it can wait. Maybe it can wait an hour. Maybe it can wait a day or even a week. Or maybe it just needs to go away. I don't know what this is for you, but we've given you a, a, a list of opportunities here, and I hope this week, just as last week, you, you took the Lord's Prayer and you prayed it daily, right? This week, maybe you work through some, some of these things, and you start to pay attention to when you're speeding up and when you need to slow down, and when you need to find the pace of Jesus in your life. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've been doing this work for a long time, the work of redemption, the work within each of us and in the world. And God, uh, we trust you. We, we trust that as long as it takes with you, that we too are willing to take that long. You are doing a work within us, and you are faithful to complete it, and we, Lord, trust your timing. Help us to trust you more. Give us that faith. God, I thank you for this church and the body of believers that are in it, I pray that as a church, Lord, that we find ways both to do your work, uh, but to do it at a pace that is appropriate to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.